and welcome back to the Two Preachers Podcast. We're just two preachers, talking, trying to figure this thing out. And welcome back. My name is Ben James. I am the pastor here at First Church of Christ in beautiful, chilly, overcast. Amen. Few snowflakes flying. Grayson, Kentucky. And I am joined, as always, by my good friend and fellow pastor. Josh Schmidt, senior pastor at First Baptist Church, Grayson, Kentucky. Also, Ben, how are you this morning? I am fantastical. Feels great to be back in studio. It does. It does. I mean, a microphone in front of us. We have... uh, Taking a little bit of a sabbatical yeah. uh, from the podcasting world, uh, which means that we have been fully immersed in our pastoral responsibilities. It seems like there's been something going on over the last nine months. I can't remember exactly, but it's kind of distracted us a little bit. Let, let's just be honest. We as pastors, we just sit around all yeah. throughout the week, twiddling yeah. our thumbs behind yeah. the desk, acting like we're busy, and then we preach on it's, the weekend. It's really hard to do a podcast and only work one day a week. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's big facts right there, buddy. So we are actually joined by a third person, an addition to the Two Preachers podcast. Not enough of an addition that we were willing to amend the name. You know, it's kind of like the bylaws and the constitutions of a church here. You know, I didn't even think about that. We're definitely not changing it to Two Preachers and a producer or anything like that, are we? (laughs) No, no, no. But we are joined by someone who we have just kind of thrown in here and said, hey, you're going to serve as our producer. We're going to allow you to introduce yourself. Thomas, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. I I have no idea what's going on or what to expect over the next (laughs) little while. Well, Uh, you you will fit in well. uh, yeah, my name is Thomas McClure. I'm the youth pastor here at First Church with Ben. And uh, yeah, I, I sound weird. I talk weird. I'm not from here originally, so I'm from Ireland. Um, and yeah, just excited to see what sort of goes on. I feel like I don't feel as much of a producer as more of like a mediator right now. I don't like <laughs> just the way that this yeah, is set up. We're kind of across the table for yeah, sure. Another. I feel like I'm about to like have to step in or have a whistle or something. But <laughs> just, uh, we'll see what happens. In this corner, yeah. First Baptist. <laughs> I'll say yeah. this. Thomas has the finest hair in the business. Oh, it's ridiculous, oh, well, isn't it? it? It's excellent. Excellent hair from, from a man who has almost no hair very jealous well there was a time in high school i don't this is probably isn't the place to put this out there but there was a time in high school where um i was told by a girl that i had a, I had a crush on that if i didn't have my hair i'd have nothing going for me so <laughs> that so is just it. brutally honest man that's amazing it was something and there is uh we will we won't say any names or anything but i don't think it's going to be hard to to whittle it down here we have someone on our staff here at First Church who just made the comment a little bit earlier this week that a mullet, a man sporting a mullet, automatically increases at least two points on the one to ten scale. The mullet has that much of an effect in her opinion that Mm. you can go from a six to an eight immediately with a mullet and then it could even go up three points if you permit. Oh wow. Mullet's really making a comeback, right? It is, and it's glorious. Yes, it is. It's glorious. Okay, well, let's talk about some ministry moments here as we get away from the mullet speech. Six months, the worst transition we've ever had in our lives. It's been that long. It's a train wreck forgot segue how to right there. Yeah. Um, so, Josh, what uh, what's kind of been going on? Is, you know, in the era of COVID nineteen, we have multiple ministry moments. Every moment yeah. seems like, but what's what's one notable one here recently for you? Yeah, so a couple came to mind. One that I'll kind of settle on is um, our 
we've come back in person on sort of a limited basis. We're doing in-person Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. And we've had a lot of guests that have that have come and, mm-hmm. and wanted to be a part of what's going on. And so we appreciate that. Um, but the one thing I'd really like to focus on is just how incredible it is that while I think I'm seeing in other churches and having talked to other pastors, um, their churches are really fighting over restrictions and, and how they want to come back and things like that. We've really not dealt with that to, yeah. to a great degree. And so I praise God for that, that he's really sort of preserved the unity in our church. And I hope that continues. Yeah. Amen. That's same here, uh, that, which is, which is good. I'm, I'm glad that both of us, because I, I have heard absolute horror stories from some pastors that, um, you know, just really, it's not been a pleasant experience at all, uh, trying to reopen. Yeah. Um, so I, I think a ministry moment for me, and it, this is really a first, it was two days ago. Um, and, and I can't go into a whole lot of detail, but in one evening, um, there, there was uh, a, a crime that happened mm-hmm. that uh, here locally, yeah. and I serve as a chaplain uh, for a, a, an organization here, an advocacy organization, uh, and I got a call about this one, you know, this this family of the uh, that was affected by the crime, mm-hmm. and they said we would like for you to um, do a virtual meeting you know, with the organization, with the family as the chaplain for that. So here I'm scheduled at 6 p.m. to have this moment of clergy, wow. you know, and, and, and be this this pastoral figure in their lives to the people who, um, you know, were family of the victim. One of the alleged perpetrators uh, in this incident was a, a man that I grew up with mm. uh, and was kind of next-door neighbors with, very close you know for a lifetime with the family and right before I go into that 6 p.m. virtual meeting I have about an hour-long phone call with his mother Uh, so I'm finding myself giving spiritual counsel to both sides of this uh, of this incident and that was the first time uh, that 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 type of dynamic had really ever presented itself in my ministry career and it quickly reminded me the focus of our job, so to speak, is it's um, it's not to take sides. Yeah. You know, it's it's not to really play advocate for one side or the other, but it's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Amen. at the end of the day, both sides needed that peace that passes all understanding, and that source is Jesus Christ, and Amen, that's brother. that's where it has to come from. Amen. So, uh, today we're going to talk about the importance of our corporate worship. Uh, really, we'll, we'll kind of zone in a little bit on the actual singing portion of our worship, although we do recognize uh, fellow pastors, leaders, ministers, that everything we do is an act of worship. That's right. Uh, so when we're here, you know, when we're together on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, uh, we recognize that as everything we do is corporate worship at that point. But we kind of want to, uh, both of our hearts have been stirred over these past several months Mm. into the the importance and the value of what we are singing as a family. So uh, before we get into our our bullet points, I would just kind of like to get your overall thoughts on the importance of our corporate worship times. Yeah, uh, corporate worship is important. (laughs) I mean, sincerely, uh, you know, we... um, it's so important that we involve at every level the entirety of the church in worship to God 
because primarily that's why we gather on Sunday mornings. And like you said, um, it's not just uh, singing, it's it's praying, it's giving, it's the preaching of the Word. All of these things come together and coalesce in, in true worship to God. Uh, it's so important that we do that. And I think it's one of the things that as pastors we have to target and make sure that we're incorporating uh, all of these elements together. Yeah, absolutely. We, um, you know, we're going to look through five points here uh, real quickly. Maybe not real quickly, but we're <laughs> going to look at five points nonetheless. As as we are looking at our family time together, yeah. Uh, and, and I want to kind of say up front because this is a this is an ongoing conversation with some people that I'm fairly close with. Um, we are not going to say that everything uh, that you hear from a Christian music standpoint is bad, right, or it's wrong, right. We both have a very strong conviction that God has to be the target of our corporate worship as a family. That's right. Uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about pronouns. What is the uh, dominant pronoun in the song? Uh, is it Are we singing about us and sprinkling some of Jesus in there, right. or are we singing about him? And, and I think that there are some songs that you will hear on Christian radio that you'll hear coming uh, from from different worship places that aren't bad songs at their very core. They're just not songs that we need to be singing as a family on Sunday morning. So we'll just kind of say that right out because Absolutely. You know, my wife and I had a discussion last night. You know, it, she's gotten to the place that every time that there's a new song that comes out or one that she really likes, she's like, okay, okay what about this one? What about, and I'm just like, I, my wife does the same thing. We kind of look at each other and she's like, are we allowed to like this one? <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, I listened to it and I told her, I said, listen, I think that that is a fantastic song to sing in the car. You know, I think that that is a personal encouragement song I think that, that is a song of declaration uh, but it's focused on me right it's focused on I uh, and me personally I don't feel like that has any place in our Sunday or our corporate gatherings sure. uh, because that takes us to our number one point that the most important thing about our corporate worship is that we glorify God and we have him as the target because ultimately our worship is is for him and from a pastor's point of view why do you think that that is incredibly important for us to make sure that our congregants and our families know that this is why we're singing the songs we're singing. Because every time we have the opportunity to remind our church that worship isn't about us, we must do that. It's so very important. I mean, it, it, I'm reminded of passages all throughout the New Testament that clearly show us the most important thing that any of us can do is bring glory to God in everything that we do. Corporate worship is one of the primary ways that we do that as the church. So as often as we can, we point to the church and say, hey, you are not the primary subject of worship. Amen. You can't be. <laughs> worship is about bringing glory to God. It's us uh, bringing forth his character and reminding ourselves, teaching ourselves, praying, singing, doing all of these things that, that bring forth that God is above us and we worship, worship him with all that we have. Amen. I, uh, I jotted down here that Corporate worship is meant to be an anticipation of the heavenly gathering mm. of God's people. And if we approach it from that mindset, whenever we're in heaven and we're worshiping, yeah. is there going to be anything about it that's going to be focused on us? That's right. Amen. I mean, there, I just, you know, I, I go back to hearing people talk about all the time, like, well, when I get to heaven, the first question that I'm going to ask God is, why didn't Moses get to enter into physically the promised land? I'm like, you realize that 
when we get to heaven, the last thing, and we see yeah. God seated in his splendor and his majesty, it's going to be so overwhelming and so far beyond anything that we have conceptually in our minds now that any question that we have is totally going to fall away. That's right. And it's going to be all about him. I'm reminded of Jonathan Edwards. I'm a big Edwards guy, man. Just a phenomenal theologian. He said, God's purpose for my life was that I have a passion for God's glory and that I have a passion for my joy in that glory and that these two things are one passion. Mm -hmm. It's so important that we not just um, are concerned and zealous in the pursuit of God's glory, but we also find our joy in God's glory. And that's why corporate worship is so important because it brings us together as one in joy for who God is and what he's done for us. Amen. That joyful anticipation, man, of not only only joy of thankfulness, like you were saying, of what he's done, but also that joyful anticipation of what's to come. That's right. What's to come. Uh, Second point, uh, let's, let's talk about a little bit that it needs to be focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think that I think we could answer that very simplistically. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that there may be uh, some listeners out there that would say, "Okay, I get that. What does that look like? What What do you think that having this worship um, being focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ? What What do you think that looks like in a corporate setting?" So I genuinely and simply think it's being focused on the primary call of spreading the gospel to the nations and glorifying Christ for what He's done for us. And you kind of addressed this uh, in the intro before we got to the points, but this idea of worship that's centered on me is not sufficient for God and who He is. Amen. Worship must be focused on on God. And I'm reminded of Ephesians. You're getting ready to preach through it, which talks about how we have this responsibility of addressing one another in psalms and hymns uh, and spiritual songs because ultimately the focus on Christ reminds us that we aren't the primary thing in this world, that the world doesn't revolve around us. And in us singing and talking about um, Christ and his coming again, it gives us hope, it gives us joy, and it tells others that we're uh, doing a life that's worth emulating. Yeah, amen. I think that when we have corporate worship time, and, and we should have a higher level of appreciation for corporate worship time now more than ever with this situation that we're going through. I think that we have to recognize that that is one of the primary means in which Christ draws us to him. Absolutely. Uh, And if we are approaching it somewhat passively, somewhat selfishly, then what are we, what are we being drawn to? And, And I think looking at that, at the gospel and that reminder, that constant reminder of God came down mm. in human form so that he could draw us, that that bridge could be built, that substitutionary atonement yeah. was accomplished through Jesus Christ. And we're no longer reaching and searching for different areas, different things. What sacrifice, what, you know, what type of offering can I bring that's going to be pleasing to God so that I can be forgiven, justified, redeemed? It's all about Jesus Christ. Amen. And when we're focusing on him, those things should be 
consistently stirring in us. Yeah, maybe we should illuminate for the people. What does it look like when worship isn't focused on Christ? Just quickly, I mean, what, what, is, what does that look like for a church to be focused on things other than Christ in corporate worship? I think immediately it becomes an emotional feel-good yeah. type of thing. I, I feel like um, there's elements of behavior modification uh, that's if we're just singing about the moment and we can peak an emotion during the moment, have a feel-good, encouraging type of moment, um, that's that's kind of what we're after. Uh, when, when we don't make him yeah. the focus of it, because we're almost... <laughs> okay, I'm just going to... If we have that mindset, we're almost enabling an addiction mm. because we are wanting them to have this emotional high, this high that brings them to this kind of pinnacle of... Uh, this feels so good, yeah. And this is the only place I can get that. So I'm going to say something that that might be a little controversial. I don't know. I think that 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 emotional feeling uh, is so oddly specific to the American church today. I, I think I, you're right. I, maybe man. this is where we bring Thomas in and and get his perspective yeah. on someone who's been outside of the American right. church. But I feel like that super emotional aspect of worship that's not focused on anything except for our own experience in that worship Mm -hmm. is so distinctly American. Right. Yeah. I mean, so, so Ireland is still Western, right? So, you know, it's somewhere in between that sort of like more traditional uh, Eastern Orthodox sort of area and, and America. So we sort of have a bit of both. I grew up in a, in a small rural Presbyterian church where we had a hymn and we're an organist and hymns and a choir full of hundred-year-old people. Um, and it was, a lot of the time, I always complained about it. And it's interesting you talk about, like, the, the emotion of it, because when we first moved here, uh, we went to a church that was very, like, high energy, you know, mm. um, fun, lots of big lights and all that kind of stuff. And for someone who's in, like, loves tech and videography and all that kind of stuff, it was so much fun. Like, right. really enjoyed it. Um and they were full of amazing pastors and stuff who had a good focus, but there definitely is an emotion that you get drawn into with the hype um, that um, is very surface level. Mm. Um, and I find actually the more, there's a weird thing that's going on in my generation, um, like amongst millennials that are actually beginning to flock back to liturgical churches. Yes, absolutely. Um, diving for something deeper, because I think what you were talking about of um, when God is the focus and we truly put God as a focus, it means that we can come into a service, lay aside our week, yeah. all the bad things going on, not be so self-centered on aiming for the blessings and the hope that we potentially will attain, but focus on the fact that he is good. That actually brings a level of emotional joy that is Absolutely. real. Absolutely. So, I mean, when you really get into it, and we're gonna, I think we're talking about it later, but there is a level of like when the music and stuff is done well mm-hmm. that does make mm-hmm. a difference as well and that I think that's true um, but if you truly reflect on the words um, there's a level of joy and emotional mm-hmm. high when you focus on God and God alone that you can't attain anywhere else yeah mm-hmm. so I, I would agree wholeheartedly and I'm seeing that too Thomas there's a there's a <coughs> deep hunger mm-hmm. uh, especially among young people mm-hmm. I'm experiencing in our church and from outside our church that want substance, mm-hmm. that want that want foundation, which I think is an excellent transition to our next point. Yeah. That not only is worship Christ centered, but it must also be biblically based. Absolutely, it's so very important. Yeah, and 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 one of the elements to kind of bridge the two points together again is we're not saying that God doesn't work through emotions 
You know, I mean, he created Absolutely. the emotion. Right. So there, right. we're not dismissing that. It's just, you know, Thomas said it well with the surface level. Uh, but I think that even beyond our music, as we look at the whole service, you know, the totality Absolutely. of the service uh, from prayers, songs, preaching, uh, any scripture reading, any element of it, it has to be biblically based because that is the primary source of God's revelation of who he is, his nature, and his character to us. Uh, so anything that would go outside of the realm of his word and his you know, spoken revelation to the men that wrote this through you know, the inspiration of the Spirit is, should be completely out of bounds. Yeah. Completely and totally out of bounds and off limits. Absolutely. It's one of the reasons why we as a church have been so intentional about singing hymns. And I'm not even talking classical or traditional hymns, but even modern hymns. In fact, right now, Ben, on Wednesday nights, I'm taking our church through a study of um, traditional hymns. Mm. So last night we looked at Isaac Watts' hymn, Joy mm. to the World, yes. and talked through what that meant and, and compared the passage to Psalm 98. One of the reasons I think that singing from um, the traditional church hymnody is so important is because they are so rich with theological and doctrinal truth. And that doesn't mean you have to have a pop organ from the 14th century blaring out a, be a, really a, cool, a particular style. Yeah, the pop's going all the way to the ceiling. I, listen, I'm all for that. But that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that there has to be the setup for it. But it really matters that you're singing biblical truth. It, yeah. it matters. One of the things that Ben and I, are, we, every single episode we've done, I think we mentioned the fact that we work out because yeah. you know we're so we're, we're like buff, buff and yeah. strong. Um, ben has also been super hardcore about not doing any uh, sugar, right? Any yeah. sort of processed sugar in his diet. A couple months now. So yeah. the reason Ben does that, I think, uh, I'm not there yet. I hope to be there one day. But the reason you do that is because you're concerned about what you're consuming, yeah, right? absolutely. What you put in matters to you mm -hmm. because you know that that's going to affect your overall physical health. In the same way, what we take in what we and also what we bring out in worship that's going to affect our overall spiritual health and so why it's, why it's so important that what we sing what we read what we preach what we teach how we pray is centered on God's word above all things amen amen i think there's a good like area in that as well in that like people base their theology on songs hmm. because it's so much easier to remember song lyrics than it is to remember bible passages like i can i could sing 100 christian songs off the top of my head, but would struggle to quote a hundred Bible verses and pinpoint exactly where they are. Fire this man. <laughs> but do you know do you know what I mean? Because like I think a lot of our brains are hardwired to we you know, we know melodies, we know all of that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. So and that's why the hymns originally started was to teach theology. Because yeah, right. Bibles weren't readily available to yeah, exactly. everybody. And that's, that's right. you know, and there's let, let's let's be honest, there's some old hymns that are stinkers yep. as right. well. You know, there well, there really are. Well, I'll name names. What are the what are the stinkers? <laughs> I, lo I love some of the Psalms that have been rewritten and almost yes. sound like they're being written by Yoda. Do you know what I mean? Because they have to re <laughs> rewrite the words that make it sound yeah. they have to jumble them up. Yeah. But, but yeah. you 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 brought out a really good point there that one of the reasons that there is such a lean towards traditional hymns as far as being theologically sound is because that would that was the primary method. That's right. You, you would hear the preacher on Sundays, but there wasn't this readily available mm -hmm. um, access to God's Word. And That's even right. if it was readily available, so many people struggled to read mm -hmm. at, a, at a level that they could comprehend that it was recognized that it was the songs, right. the hymns, that would help the people to 
remember and develop theology. Right. Uh, so that that's why we all kind of have this lean towards um, we. I, I'll say that there's on some of the older hymns, I am far. I, I don't have as much scrutiny of those as I do if we're introducing a new song of of modern worship. Uh, I scrutinize those lyrics mm-hmm. heavily Agreed. before that happens. Agreed. Does that come out of a instinctual thing of this was written in the last three years so I automatically have to critique it? or I think it's been uh, instinctual from listening to Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think that, it, I don't think it's instinctual from the fact of it being so modern. Right. I think it's instinctual from my, and I'll speak for me personally, I feel like there is still that maturation process going on inside of me as a pastor and a leader that I feel far more protective mm-hmm. of mm. our church family uh, than what I once was. And theologically, you know, theology is a big deal to me. Yeah. Uh, and, and what is coming from us as leaders is, one of the is, is a much bigger deal now. Yeah. One of the important aspects of being an under-shepherd of the church is protecting the, the overall spiritual health of the church. I think that one of the ways that we do that is by taking them away from songs that have no substance. Well, mm-hmm. Why would we sing something that doesn't mean anything when we have so many wonderful options? Yeah, yeah. agreed. So let's let's talk about this. Let's continue. Let's go to point four here as it's affecting our people, yeah. you know, the people that God has given us care over. Uh, we need to understand that it needs to edify our people. Yeah. It needs to build them up. And again, there's that difference of are we trying to build them up to an emotional high or are we really edifying and building them up at a foundational theological level and understanding of who God is and what his word says. I think this is why liturgy is so important for a church um, and historically why churches have had moments of confession of sin and assurance of forgiveness and things like that because this is literally reminding our people it's building them up, reminding them of the security that they have uh, in God, reminding them of the assurance of forgiveness of sin, reminding them of God's goodness um, when our worship is centered on God, it's for His glory, it's for His adoration, we're adoring God, um, it builds us up, again, reminding us that worship ultimately isn't about us. It's so very important. Yeah. I think, again, going to the edification of the people, I think that that's what Paul's getting at in 1 Corinthians 14, you know, where he's t- starting to address different spiritual gifts. Uh, you know, he started in 12. Mm. He, um, you know, sandwiched all of the spiritual gifts stuff right. around love, yeah. biblical, godly love. But he's talking about the inclusion and, and really the clarity that needs to be happening within mm-hmm. our corporate worship and our family worship time. Is like, if you are, I, I think that we need to approach what we're doing in our family gatherings for an edification of the entire body, yes. not just individual little sects of it, of saying that, um, you know, targeting uh, different creative things. And there's nothing wrong. God is a creative God. He created everything, you know. Uh, but I think that we need to look at it with a broad brush type of thing and not try to be so element-driven mm-hmm. of identifying little little portions instead of the entirety of the family. Can I jump on a soapbox for a minute, guys? Would that be sure. okay? So one thing that I think is really important about the edification of the church is recognizing, like you said, that the church involves everyone. Mm-hmm. 
one of my huge pet peeves is a family gathered together in our family worship when one or more members of the of the body of that specific family unit are not singing and what that teaches their children. Mm. So I, I think part of the uh, edifying the church is reminding us um, that that worship involves all of us. So like I'm specifically going to talk about dads because I am a dad mm. and I've been that dad before, but some of those too cool for school dads that refuse to sing and worship that just sort of keep their mouth closed and stare forward. Stoic. Yeah. yeah. You're teaching your kids that worship is ultimately what we want it to be. And you're teaching your kids that worship is an important. It's so it's why at first Baptist grace, and I don't know what you guys do here, but it's why we keep kids in worship. I mean, we, we don't pull kids out until the very end sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's just a very small group of kids there depending on their age. But they need to see us worshiping. Mm-hmm. It needs to be yeah. taught to them. I'm reminded of Deuteronomy chapter six when the Shema, yeah. when yeah. when when um, God is telling the Israelites that this has to be modeled to their children. Mm-hmm. It's that catechizing process yep. we were just talking about. It's so important. Part part of us building up our family is our family seeing that worship matters and is important. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And I think all of these points, as we have talked about the four, can kind of be summarized in this. Point five, um, doing all things with excellence, that Colossians 3.23 concept that everything that we do, do is excellent unto the Lord. Um, We're not talking about excellence in presentation Mm. as far as lights, camera, action, that type of stuff, because whether it's a massive production or like you said that you grew up with, you know, just a, you know, an organ or a piano or a guitar or no instruments at all, all that we do for God, especially in our worship, needs to be done with excellence. And the understanding that perfection is not attainable. Yeah. You know, they put me on a bass guitar in here Sunday morning, this past Sunday morning. Um, I tried to play it with excellence. They did not get perfection. I promise you <laughs> that. Uh, but from preaching, needs to be done with excellence. Yes. Singing, playing, uh, devotions, scripture reading, everything that we do needs to be done with excellence. Um, And that, to me, is the biggest key, other than it being towards God, you know, glorifying to Him and that excellence. And I think those are connected. I don't think those are disconnected. So if if I were defining excellence in worship, it would be a laser focus on the glory of God. Hmm. I I think that's what excellence is because... You know, your church may not have a gifted pianist or a gifted piano or a gifted guitar player or a gifted singer or any of that stuff. I've been in, before I became a pastor, I was kind of an itinerant preacher at churches. I would go around and fill their pulpit. And I was in churches of 20 or 30 people that had no musicians or oftentimes had no singers, um, but they were still pursuing excellence in worship. I think excellence isn't about ability. Excellence is about the pursuit of God above all things. And so I think that we we need to remind ourselves of that. We're not saying that you have to have, like you said, some highly produced thing. Excellence is about putting God above all things. Amen. And I think to wrap up this portion of the episode, I think if we were to say there's a key statement or if we had to boil it down to one statement, it's that worship is not about us. Amen. It's about God. That's right. Period. Are we ready? Yes. 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 Segway music.
Okay, so as we have typically liked to do uh, in the greater years past since we've done an episode, is we kind of like to leave you with uh, some final thoughts about what we're reading, what we're listening to, things of that nature. And with this being uh, the Advent season, since we're celebrating the coming and the birth of our Savior, uh, Josh, what are what what kind of passage is is jumping out at you this time of year? And then the most important question: What's your favorite Christmas song? My favorite Christmas song. Okay, so passage we've been um, like you have been preaching through the Christmas story. So we've been doing Luke chapter one and two, talking about the songs of Christmas. So we've really centered in that. Um, my main man, Darren Phillips, will be preaching for us this week and doing Gloria in ex I don't know how to pronounce that. <laughs> Help me, Thomas. Gloria in Excelsior. 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 I don't think that's it at all. That sounds like a, I don't know is what he pulling the yeah. sword out of a rock? I mean, so, yeah. yeah, so yeah. We're, we're, we've been focusing a lot on that. We've put together a Christmas morning devotion for our church, and mm-hmm. I'm really excited about them reading Luke 2, 1 through 20 together. Uh, favorite Christmas song? I have to say first what my least favorite Christmas okay. song yes, is. Yes, it is with that. It is without a doubt I'm on a hippopotamus for Christmas. <laughs> I don't know what sort of... Solid, theological, biblically-based. Yeah, I'm not sure what, what sort of parent would entrust their kid with a hippopotamus, but that's the worst. Um, second worst would probably be I Saw Mommy Kiss and Santa mm. Claus. Mm. Uh, my favorite Christmas song has always been Silent Night. Yeah. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. Gorgeous, gorgeous. How about you? Yeah. Uh, we are doing, right now, we're going through the month of December and kind of doing what we're calling role players, which we looked at Joseph, Elizabeth, we're looking at Herod and all of these, uh, what would be considered auxiliary characters. Uh, I'm Right now, the, the passage is just jumping out uh, with me is, and we honestly aren't, aren't covering him, but is Zechariah, mm. you know, the angelic yeah. visitation and announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. I'm just, I find myself gravitating back to that just over and over again in my reading time and just um, kind of getting lost. Yeah, in, I in preached all of that, that last Sunday. Story. Just a powerful passage. Yeah. Um, and then if, if I'm holding suit with you here, my least favorite. Uh, Christmas song is uh, All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, it we'll, is without we'll, a doubt a result of the fall. That yeah, we, that yeah. song. <laughs> we will we will get some hate mail uh, maybe on that one. Uh, my favorite uh, probably is the first Noel. Mm. Uh, the, you know, a couple different reasons. I, I love the, the, the message of the song, but yeah. um, my sister's name was Noel oh, that's also, awesome. so that uh, that's always kind of held a special place in my heart. So Thomas. Oh dear. Um my reading's all over the place all the time. I, I have to say, like, one of the best things about being a youth pastor is I only preach on a Sunday service once every couple of months. So I really get to, like, dive in and, like, focus on something for a lot longer than having to do it every single week. So when I was preaching on Joseph, um, I loved it. Like, it was great. Um, just diving into his character and taking a look at that, and it was just something that I can't really get out of my brain. Um, so I really, yeah, his little story. And even the first time I ever preached here was on Psalm 90. Mm-hmm. And I do keep going back to that one. Um, it's a wonderful passage all about death. <laughs> Great. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, yep. it's uh, my next thing I'm looking to. I'm, I'm terrible at reading a book the whole way through. So my aim is Hebrews is where I'm going next. Nice Ooh, light one. Bold, light one. Nice. You know, a little Who small. Who wrote Hebrews? Who yeah. knows? <laughs> um, Christmas, uh, Christmas music. I mean, I could list so many ones that I don't like. I'm not a big Christmas music guy. Mm. I'm really not. Um, Bahamug and all that um, I think my favourite one would maybe be Mary Did You Know in like that sort of acapella style is really nice a nice sort of like 
minor melancholic. If you guys sad. could see the look, you've on read Josh's Luke chapter face. one, huh? yeah. Oh my okay, yeah, she knew. Yeah, I know, but it's just it's fantastic. Like, musically, just I enjoy kidding. it. Hey, you pointed it like, well, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was about to get defensive, and then I realized no. I'm above that sort of thing. I do have to ask the most important question oh, for yeah. you. Okay. What's your favorite Christmas movie, and why is it Die Hard? <laughs> well, so, I mean, in our household, we've actually started watching Lord of the Rings for the three days around Christmas. It's a great Christmas movie. It's, yes. It's, it has elves It's a gift it. that keeps getting. It's good. It has yeah, elves, elves in it. It's <laughs> elves in it. So that's kind of become me and my wife's Christmas movies. Yeah. Um, unpopular... Uh, opinion here not a huge Die Hard fan wow it's unpopular for a reason not a huge Die Hard fan the best Christmas movie hands down end of discussion no arguments National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation never seen it and I assume your church is going to fire you for mentioning it (laughs) you know there are there are times that you have to stand by your convictions (laughs) You know, if I'm ever back here, I think I need a whistle. Just put, put <laughs> yeah, that there. It's come to that. It's come to that. All right. Well, guys, thank you for joining us. Hopefully, we will be back around in the next couple of weeks. That's that's the target, anyhow. But uh, until then, uh, reach out to us. Uh, you can get us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, also, Two Preachers Talking Podcast uh, at gmail.com. Josh, any parting words? Uh, Feliz Navidad. Yeah. Thomas? I don't know how to say it in Irish. If I knew how to say it in Irish, I would say Merry Christmas. You're from Ireland. Yeah, we don't. How do you know? We don't actually speak Irish. We do. It's it's just on the signs. Nobody knows what it says. All right. Well, guys, have a great Christmas.